Prison, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And 1 Corinthians 15. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised, and on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me, this is the Apostle Paul writing, also as to one who had been abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach and this is what you believed. The Apostle Paul writing there to the church at Corinth. Would you join me in prayer as we remember and celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ? Let me once again just extend a very warm welcome to you if you're joining us for the first time this morning. Great that you're able to be here. Um, I recently learned about a game changer, and his name is David Unipon. He appears on the $50 note. Uh, Now, I learned a bit about David because my son, Brendan, who is in year six, had to do an assignment on him. And it sort of made me realise how the money that we use, the currency that we exchange um, often daily, although these days it's more the plastic card, isn't it? I know that's certainly the case for me. But on all of the money that we have, there are faces of people. Uh, And each of those people were actually game changers. Uh, They went on to do significant things. Now, in regards to David Unipon, a little bit about him, and it's a little hard to see. One of the things, the significant contributions that he made to society uh, was, in fact, by inventing a new design for a sheep shearing tool. You can actually see um, his hand-drawn design uh, sort of just to the right of his face. That's it there. Now, I don't think there are any sheep shearers here in this room. So it probably didn't make too much of a change to your life. But if you're a sheep shearer, David Unipon was a game changer. His design made a significant difference to the sheep shearing game and improved the efficiency of shearing sheep. I was also very um, keen to learn that he was an evangelist, he was a preacher, Uh, he was also a spokesman for Aboriginal 
rights and uh, did some terrific things. But there you go, David Unipon, a game changer. Uh, We as a church have joined with many churches right around our nation to do a six-week series called Jesus the Game Changer, which culminates today. Churches right around the nation will be finishing this series in their services. Uh, However, and many groups have been following the series... The good thing is that there are still four studies that remain that go on and look at uh, other topics that we haven't covered in our services, including democracy, uh, education and health, for example, and some of our groups will continue to do that. But the premise, if you're just joining us this morning, the premise of this series is that Jesus is a game changer. He changes people's lives one by one, and they then go on to impact their world. And today, the topic that we're considering on Easter Sunday is the topic of forgiveness. And now, for many people across our nation, the Easter weekend is a great opportunity to get away. Four days off work. Not five. Five would be nice. Four days off work. Uh, It is also a time to, for many people, enjoy eating lots of chocolate and hot cross buns. Now, I'm all for having time off work and getting away, uh, just as much as the next person does. I love eating chocolate and I love eating hot cross buns. But I am so thrilled that for me, um, and I'm sure for many of you too, Easter means so much more than just a long weekend, chocolate and hot cross buns and an Easter bunny. For those who are followers of Jesus, uh, Easter really at the heart of Easter is the message of forgiveness and the message that in Christ we have received forgiveness and we can then extend forgiveness to others. It is a powerful uh, message and right at the heart of the message of Christianity, these are the things that we consider on Easter. Jesus died on a Roman cross. He was buried in a tomb and the entrance blocked by a large stone and guarded by Roman soldiers which wasn't a common practice, by the way. It wasn't a common practice. If you read through the gospel accounts, you'll actually see that there was already theories of Jesus rising after three days, simply because Jesus himself had explained to his followers that that's what would happen. Uh, And the Romans got got concerned about this, that the disciples might try and steal the body away. And so the soldiers actually, so there was commands given to place the stone in front of the tomb and have soldiers there. So not a common practice, but certainly for Jesus it was. Jesus was dead, (laughs) Uh, but that wasn't going to stop him. Jesus broke free of the tomb, overcame death and appeared to people as a living and resurrected Lord. And Jesus' actions uh, were not just a moral example. Jesus was the incarnate God. God made flesh. God came to us to extend forgiveness and grace to all humanity. And this is kind of what is at the heart of the Christian faith, what we consider over the Easter weekend. Forgiveness is at the very heart of the Easter celebration. And so this morning, we want to take a moment to talk about what it means to extend forgiveness to others and, of course, what it means to receive forgiveness for ourselves. Uh, On Jesus the Game Changer, and for those who have been in groups following along with the the video clips, the interviews, uh, on the subject of forgiveness, this gentleman here, Hashim Garrett, was interviewed by Carl Fayes, and he has an incredibly powerful story 
uh, he first goes on to talk about his troubled youth, his parents divorcing and basically how he went on to rebel. Uh, he lived in Brooklyn and he joined a gang at the time. He's 15 years old. He gets shot in the back by a machine gun and ends up as a paraplegic. Uh, I could continue to tell you Hashem's story, but we're actually going to hear it directly from him and the impact that it went on to have in his life. Thanks, Dave. I was in a, I was in a very low place and needed some help. And I realized only all the money in the world wasn't going to put me back together again. The pain was internal. Um, shortly thereafter, my mom started coming to the hospital and said, I shouldn't even read this book. And the book was the Bible. And as I began to read the Bible, I became a miracle so these phenomenal stories. And I said, well, God, help those people. And God could help me. And then I came across the Gospels. And I learned about Christ. And I learned about this, um, you know, when someone harms you, you have to turn the other cheek. And, you know, the disciples asked him, well, what should you do when someone, you know, hurts you? He said, you should forgive. And the disciples must have been like you and I. So how many times should we forgive Christ? We said well, 70 times 7, there's a 15 year old doing math. That's just a lot of forgiveness. And um, I realized that I felt like Christ and God was speaking to me. I shouldn't have to forgive. You know? And um, maybe I would get a miracle to walk, but the real miracle was the depression that people couldn't see. You know? And uh, I read about forgiveness. And I said, you know what? I'm going to forgive my mom and dad for separating and abandoning me. They didn't care about me. I had to rush against them. I had to feel the mother's boyfriend. I realized, well, you know, he has his own issues, and I had to forgive the kid who shot me. But then the hard part was forgiving myself because I could blame my mother and father until the end of time. I could blame the kid who shot me, but at some point, I had to take ownership on it. Should you make those bad decisions? And that was all. Uh, in the interview that continued, Hashem goes on to explain how uh, forgiveness for him is a journey. And I think that's true of all of us. It isn't just a one-off transaction, particularly for something really significant. And so he talked about the fact that he would forgive this person who shot him in his heart and extend that forgiveness. But then there were occasions when he would wake up in the middle of the night full of anger and rage at the fact that his life had been completely altered and there were so many things that he was missing out on because he was a paraplegic. And in that moment, he would then have to forgive again. And he goes on to quote Martin Luther King Jr., who says, Forgiveness is not an occasional act. Rather, it is a constant attitude. Forgiveness is a posture of heart. Uh, both Martin Luther King and Hashem had significant um, people and situations in their life that they had to forgive. Forgiveness is a life choice. It's actually a value. Before something has been done to you, you actually make a decision that you're going to be a person of forgiveness. And from that point forward, you move through life. And as things inevitably happen to you, you actually already have that resolve within you that says, I am a person of forgiveness. And even though it's going to be incredibly difficult at times, that's actually how I'm going to choose to respond. Um, there are two key passages that enable us to understand why forgiveness matters so much to God. And they're in Matthew's Gospel. We'll take a look at them. 
Forgiveness was very important to Jesus. Uh, In the Sermon on the Mount, which I guess is kind of Jesus's, if you like, inaugural sermon, where he kind of um, encapsulates the bulk of his teaching on, on the kingdom of God and what it means to follow and live in God's kingdom. And in that body of teaching the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus instructs his disciples on how to pray. And what is known as the Lord's Prayer is like a a shortened version of of the broader teaching. It kind of encapsulates how a follower of Jesus who seeks to live in the kingdom of God um, lives their life out. And Forgiveness is mentioned in the Lord's Prayer, as many of us might know. Forgive us our debts or trespasses or sins as we forgive those. So we're first asking God to forgive us, acknowledging the sinfulness of our own hearts, and then asking for his help to extend forgiveness to another. Um, Now, the interesting thing about the Lord's Prayer is he talks more about more than just prayer in in that, sorry, more than just forgiveness in that prayer. But as soon as the prayer is finished, the only thing that he continues to commentate on is forgiveness. And this is what we read. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's a sobering text, straight from the mouth of Jesus. So I think we firstly need to establish the fact that forgiveness is absolutely available to all people from Christ. But as a recipient of forgiveness, I now have a responsibility to act out and to live out that forgiveness in my own life, no matter how hard that may be. Um, The next passage of Scripture that we're going to look at comes from Matthew 18, 23 to 35. And in this instance, Jesus is telling a parable that is designed to help us try and understand what forgiveness looks like from God's perspective. You see, when we're struggling to forgive another Part of the problem is that we're only seeing it from our own perspective as a victim. What Jesus wants to do in this text is kind of remove our own personal situation for a moment and and try and get us into the shoes of what it's like for God. And here's the parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants As he began the settlement, a man who owned him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owned him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him the exact same thing that he had begged the king. 
Be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now the point of the parable is that we as those who have disregarded God's will by choosing our own way rather than his way um, are the ones who owe the large debt. We are like the unforgiving servant. And the king has forgiven us an enormous debt that we could never pay. And therefore, we should be able to extend forgiveness to others. Again, another sobering text. (laughs) Now, it's not straightforward, is it? And as I look around this room, there's a lot of life experience. There's a lot. And I would, without knowing individual stories and individual hurts, there would be a lot of heartache and pain and hurt in this room. Some of it very, very raw and very fresh. You're still reeling from it right now. Some of it is from years, decades ago, and yet you still carry it in your heart. This would certainly be the case for any room of human beings, would it not? We live in a fallen world. And whether you're a believer in Jesus Christ or not, there have been things that you've done, but there are also things that have happened to you, things that have been done to you that have left scars and wounds which you carry with you to this very moment and will indeed continue to carry with you. Life is full of pain. Life is full of all sorts of good things, but a certain reality is that life has a lot of pain. And I'm sure that for those who've lived longer than myself, you would attest to that as well. I've got 37 years of stories I can share, and there's a lot of pain in that time as well. I don't think you can be a human being on this planet and not have stories and not have wounds. So there isn't a person in this room that I can't be speaking to right now. So why do we struggle to forgive? In one sense, when we consider this parable and when we consider the forgiveness that we've received from God, our response is, well, 
if I've been forgiven this much, then surely I must be able to extend forgiveness. But the reality is, it's incredibly hard. It's incredibly hard. And I actually want to acknowledge that this morning. I want to sit with you in that place that recognizes and acknowledges that forgiveness is hard and that forgiveness is a journey. One reason that we struggle to forgive is that we underestimate the amount we've been forgiven. We talked about on Friday that the fact that for many of us, we seem to have an estimation of ourselves that we're good people. I'm a good person. I generally do good to others. And I think this is an attitude that a lot of Australians would probably have of themselves. Um, the Bible has a different story to tell. Uh, Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. There is no person who has not rebelled against God's ways. And when Paul's writing to the Ephesians in chapter 2, he begins by saying, once you were dead in your sins and transgressions. Meaning that as soon as a person has sinned against God, spiritually they are dead. And when you're dead, you can't do anything for yourself. Because you're dead. And here's where we need a saviour, because when you're dead, you can't save yourself. And many people would say, well, I don't need a saviour, I'm just fine. But we're talking about your spiritual state, not your physical state. Physically, you may look fantastic. You may have all of the wealth and all of the position, and life would be fantastic for you. And I think there'd probably be a number here on the central coast, in fact, a number in our country, who would fit into that category. We live in an incredibly wealthy and blessed, prosperous country at a, at a time in history where people have pretty good lives. <laughs> and it's understandable that a lot of people, particularly on the physical, would say, well, I don't need a saviour. Like, my life is fantastic at the moment. I've got my investment properties. I spend my time down at the beach on the weekend. I've got a great job. I've got a beautiful family. You know, on the surface, things look great. But spiritually, uh, the Bible says that we've all sinned, we all fall short of God's glory, and without a saviour, we're dead. And when you're dead, there's nothing you can do to save yourself. And my friends, this is where Christ comes in. So if we underestimate the amount we've been forgiven, it's one of the reasons why we struggle to forgive another. If we start to realise that we ourselves are dead because of our sin and accept the fact that in Christ forgiveness is available and we receive that forgiveness that forgives us for everything we've done in our past as well as everything we'll continue to do in our future that is against God's will, that is against God's ways for our lives. Unless we realise that, then it is going to be hard for us to extend forgiveness. Another reason why we might struggle to forgive is that we are suffering deeply from our own hurt. And I just want to take a moment now to be so gentle and considerate to where you may be. You may be suffering deeply from your own hurt. 
And that is why it is difficult for you to forgive. Uh, There's a story of Simon Wiesenhall, who was a Jew who survived a concentration camp during World War II. And I have here some reflections on this book um, from a blog writer who who says this. Simon Wiesenthal recounts how, as a concentration camp inmate in Lemberg, he was summoned from his slave labour detail to the bedside of a dying SS soldier. The soldier had participated in the mass murder of Jewish women, children and old men, and his conscience was torturing him in his last moment on earth. With the help of a nurse, he sought out a Jew to whom he could confess and ask for forgiveness before he died. Now, Simon, the author of that book, is that Jew. In the long nights, and this is the man, the soldier speaking, in the long nights while I have been waiting for death, time and time again I have longed to talk about it to a Jew and beg forgiveness from him. Only I didn't know whether there were any Jews left. I know that what I am asking is almost too much for you, but... Without your answer, I cannot die in peace. Wiesenthal said nothing and left. Later, he questioned his behaviour. Ought I have forgiven him? Was my silence at the bedside of the dying Nazi right or wrong? This is a profound moral question. And the book explores this very question and the subject of forgiveness. As I mentioned a moment ago, every person's experience is different. And for some, indeed, for some in this room, the thought of forgiving another seems insurmountable. Even if there is a a willingness on your part, it's like a Mount Everest that you haven't trained for. And it just seems like something you don't know how to do. On the series Towards Belief, which some of us will be familiar with, another Olive Tree Media series uh, by Carl Fays, he interviewed a gentleman called Dale Keane. Dale is a Christian man. He is a theologian and a teacher Uh, at a theological education centre and he was sexually abused by his pastor as a child. And when Carl interviewed him and asked him whether or not he'd been able to forgive that pastor, Dale was honest and said, I still don't know how. I know I need to let it go I don't know how, but I need to let it go. And so what we're doing at this point is we're actually acknowledging that even for those of us who have received the forgiveness of Christ, who have been forgiven a debt we could never pay, who have literally been raised from spiritual death to spiritual life, there are certain things that may have happened to us in our journey of life that we just don't know how on earth we can let go of and forgive. Dale is in that place, and you might be too. In the series, this lady here, Paula Gooder, was 
interviewed, and I loved, and I think many of us found it very helpful, Paula reflected on the Greek meaning of the word forgiveness. And it simply means to let go. It's like a balloon. You let it go and off it goes. Then also the people who need forgiveness have to let it go as well. This was a very helpful perspective on forgiveness. Because it creates a picture for us as somebody who's been wounded and that wound being like a balloon. And everywhere you go, you carry that balloon with you. And, and I guess perhaps we feel as though by carrying that balloon, we are punishing the person who has wronged us. But in fact, it no longer has anything to do with them because you are the person carrying the balloon. You are the person who continues to carry that burden. And in a sense, to be able to let go of the balloon is about releasing the pain and the heartache in your life. It's about setting you free so that you don't have to continue to be a victim to that abuse that was inflicted upon you. That other person has their own journey. But for you, if you can actually find it in your heart to forgive, you are letting go of that burden that you are carrying. That's what it means to forgive. It's a powerful image. As we reflect a little bit more on the parable of the unforgiving servant, we can see that from God's perspective, when we can recognize and appreciate how much we have been forgiven, it actually creates capacity in our hearts and our lives to forgive the first place we need to start is with ourselves before God. That has to be the starting point for forgiveness in our lives. To recognise that God has forgiven us and extends to us an invitation to receive complete and full forgiveness for all the wrongdoing that we have ever done and inflicted upon others. As we begin to grasp how much we've been forgiven ourselves, this then creates motivation for us to forgive. And it's not motivation that's for the other person. It's actually motivation because of what God's done for us. I think this is a very helpful posture. And I offer it to you as a way forward. Our capacity to forgive is influenced by our experience of forgiveness. And so if you are someone here this morning who is struggling to know how to forgive someone who has hurt you, who has wronged you, then I want to take you to Romans 3.23 and Ephesians 2.1 and remind us that according to the Bible, before God, we are spiritually dead because of our sin. This is at the very heart of the message of Jesus. Someone said to me yesterday, I'm not religious. And that's fine. And I, I really respect that. 
And, and that's, I suppose, how a lot of people will talk about religion today. They'll sort of just put it in a box. You're a church person, you're religious. Um, but forgiveness is actually something that affects all of us as human beings. Whether we have any affiliation with the church or a religious institution makes no difference. And at the very heart of the Christian message is something that we all so desperately need. And that is to be forgiven, to be raised from spiritual death. And in so doing, we then have the capacity and the motivation to live our lives with that posture of forgiveness. And that is an incredibly freeing way to live. As we spoke about at the very beginning, imagine living your life with a premeditated heart that is inclined towards forgiveness, that actually says, I have been forgiven so much that as I journey through my life and as people hurt me and do things to me that hurt me, I'm actually going to choose to forgive. And I'm going to continue to choose to forgive. I look at this beautiful woman over here, Rhonda Walker, and to me she is just a personification of what it means to live forgiveness. And there are many other people here who are living forgiveness out. It's not just a hypothetical idea. It's an ongoing journey for you. And the wonderful message, my friends, is that Christ will take that journey with you. It's not something that he intends for you to do alone. The story of Hashim Garrett is powerful, as is the story of Rhonda Walker. There are many people here who have such stories. Ross Young is another who has such a story to tell. And I had the privilege of hearing that this week. You see, through Christ, we receive forgiveness And that then enables us to extend forgiveness. Right at the beginning of this series, I said that Jesus, the game changer, changes whole communities and nations of people. And the whole point of this series is to consider the difference that Christ has made to the Western society in general. There's so many things that underpin our society that we take for granted that have their root and origin in Jesus care, health, leadership, all of these different things. Jesus changes one person's life at a time and they then go on to change and impact their world. So I don't know where you are at with Jesus, whether you're somebody who still remains spiritually dead and needs a saviour to actually raise you spiritually whether you're someone who made that decision many years ago, I want to actually create a moment and some space now for you to respond to Jesus' offer of forgiveness for you. Will you accept God's gift of grace? The opportunity is available now. If you're sitting in church here this morning and you're perhaps unfamiliar with the big story of the Bible, here it is in a nutshell. People were created for relationship with God. That was God's intention and design right from the very beginning in Genesis 2 with the tree of life. 
Many have disregarded him and continue to do so to this day. God in his great love reaches out to humanity by sending his son, Jesus. Christ's death on the cross pays the price that our sins deserve for our wrongdoing. And today we celebrate that new life is made possible through the resurrection. Now, the invitation is extended to every individual as to how they will respond to Jesus. We have a choice to make. A choice about whether or not you will follow Jesus. And following Jesus is about living a life that honours him. It is a wonderful life. It is such a freeing life. To know and receive the forgiveness of Christ actually allows you to walk through life without bitterness because you now have the power to be able to let go and live light and live free. Your life has meaning and purpose and joy that I cannot begin to express that is only through the work of God's Holy Spirit. Today is an opportunity for a fresh start. And so right now, I want to just invite everyone to join me in a posture of prayer. And I find it helpful to close my eyes, just to center myself. And it just helps me to focus on God, the one I'm praying to. You may have made such a decision to put your faith and trust in Jesus many years ago, and that's wonderful. But I wonder if today is your day, if now is your moment. And if you sense that that is the case, then I want to give you the opportunity to repeat after me, and this is not out loud, this is just in your own heart. God's not so interested in words, he's interested in our hearts. And so I want to invite you to let these words reflect the attitude of your heart. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you love me. I thank you for the death of Jesus on my behalf. I come to you today and say I am sorry for my sin. I am sorry for ignoring you in my life. I ask for your forgiveness. Today I put my life into your hands. I pray you will fill me with your spirit. And I pray for the courage to live what I say I believe. And Lord, I just want to add to that prayer right now for all who are gathered here this morning. For wherever each one of us is at with our own journey of forgiveness, both receiving your forgiveness but also extending it to those who have wronged us, 
Would you journey with us? Would you grant us your perspective? Help us to appreciate and understand our own sinfulness, our own wrongdoing before you, a holy God, that we may be empowered and equipped to extend forgiveness to others. And just like we let go of a balloon, let go of the bitterness that keeps us in prison to feelings and memories that don't serve us well, but in fact make our life more difficult. Thank you that, Jesus, you are alive and that you have power to save. Amen.